This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. This episode of iFreaks is brought to you in part by Postcards. Postcards is the simplest way to allow user feedback from right inside your application. With just a simple gesture, anyone testing your app can send you a postcard containing a screenshot of the app and some notes. It's a great way to handle bug reports and feature requests from your client. It takes five minutes to set up, and the first five postcards each month are free. Get started today by visiting www.postcard.es. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 84 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have James Uber. Hello from Minneapolis. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, Neil Ford. Hello. Neil, do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Sure. Uh, I'm Neil Ford. I uh, work at ThoughtWorks. I'm a director, software architect, and meme wrangler, which is a side effect of ThoughtWorks, allowing people to choose their own titles. I live in Atlanta, or at least my mail is delivered in Atlanta because I travel a lot as a working consultant. And by travel a lot, I mean I'll make about a moonshot this year in uh, Air Miles. Wow. (laughs) So uh, this week we brought you on because uh, Martin Fowler told me about this idea you had for uh, building your own technology radar. Yeah. You want to kind of give us a thumbnail sketch of what that's about? Sure. So uh, ThoughtWorks, the company I work for, we're a big international consulting company, and we have this group of people within ThoughtWorks called the Technology Advisory Board, and we meet face-to-face two times a year and build this thing called the ThoughtWorks Technology Radar. If anyone's interested in seeing this thing and in near a computer, if you go to thoughtworks.com slash radar, you'll see the, the current interactive version of this thing. And basically what this is is a way of what we're using this mechanism for is a way for us to opine out into the world at large about tools that we really like and think really solve problems in an elegant way and also tools that we think you should try to avoid and stay away from. So we have uh, several different uh, quadrants that have different categorizations of tools. We have different rings within the radar that indicate our level of like or dislike for something. And we put that out a couple of times a year. The next version, the next new version of the radar will be out early January next year because we've already gone through the exercise in the Recife, Brazil, about three weeks ago. So we've been doing this this radar thing as a white paper since uh, 2010. And I was uh, speaking at a conference uh, talking about some of the things that I talk about at conferences, usually kind of software architecture or related subjects, continuous delivery, things like that. And I had several people come up to me after my talks and just kind of casually mentioned that they had downloaded the ThoughtWorks radar and they thought it was kind of cool and they had used that radar metaphor to build their own radar within their company. It made me start thinking, hey, this is actually a pretty good metaphor for capturing this kind of information and I realized that it's really applicable for 
people to use to build their own radars, in fact, two different radars, one for yourself as kind of a career guidance tool and another for your company as a way to help better assess the actual consumers of the technology, getting a feedback loop back to the purchasers of technology to make sure they understand what's actually working and what's not working because we find in a lot of companies that's kind of a broken feedback loop that the people who really consume technology, their opinions don't really make it up to the people who make decisions about it and this radar metaphor becomes a mechanism for them to do that. And so that's basically my uh, insight into this, this technology radar thing was this idea that you could actually use this metaphor both as kind of a career planning tool and as a way to make the world a better place inside your big giant company. So I'm, I, I think I kind of get the idea where, you know, you have different rings or areas. Yeah, well, let, me talk, let me talk about the rings. So there are four okay. rings in our radar. The outermost ring is hold. So for the ThoughtWorks standpoint, any technology we put on hold, we're basically saying proceed with caution. We realize we're pragmatists. You can't just instantly stop using some technology because someone said they didn't like it for some reason. And so when we put something in hold on our radar, what we're suggesting is don't start anything new in this technology, that there are probably some better alternative technologies out in the world to solve this problem. So is the hold something that might be a little bit out? Dated or moving out or something that's not ready for prime time? Yes, all of the above. Or something so that you've, be... you've uh, adopted in the past but just isn't working for you the way you want anymore? Yep, absolutely. All those things are true about things in hold. So, for example, we put things in hold like enterprise service buses because we hate enterprise service buses. We much prefer the choreography enterprise integration pattern over the orchestration integration pattern, which is what an enterprise service bus does. And so we put that in hold because we're trying to suggest an alternative. A couple of years ago, so the things that end up in hold kind of end up being controversial sometimes. A couple of years ago, we put Java language in hold because at the time, (laughs) the JDK had had dried up. I mean, there was a time at Sun when they had stopped having the capability of producing new JDKs. I mean, the entire pipeline for producing JDKs had just stopped. And we looked at that and said, that's a really bad thing. Now, we didn't say step away from the JVM. What we were suggesting is there are better languages on the JVM to build stuff in than Java because at the time, Java was starting to look like a very antiquated language. Other languages were moving much more quickly. But th- So we put Java language in hold, which was, of course, very controversial because that's still where most of our project work is in Java. But then Brian Getz became the chief architect of the JV, of the Java ecosystem and they rebooted the JDK pipeline and put out Java 7 and then put out Java 8. We now have lambdas and so they're now evolving the language again. So we moved it back out of hold back into assess, which is now saying we're, we think it's worth thinking about using Java for brand new projects now because it is now back in the same kind of evolutionary stream that other programming languages are. So how soon can we get rid of outdated frameworks like Android? Well, that's uh, that's going to take a while. <laughs> so we we do have a category when ThoughtWorks puts together a radar, a category called too complex to blip. And I think Android and hold would probably be in the category of too complex to blip because it's a little too nuanced <laughs> to okay. capture with just a blip on a radar somewhere. A more reasonable question: What are some of the more recent things that have gone hold? Uh, so enterprise service buses get uh, put on hold a lot on our radar. Things like the uh, WS Star stack, uh, we put on hold. We prefer REST style integration over the kind of a SOAP-based integration. Okay. Um, what, in the mobile mobile field, what's gone away? How long ago was BlackBerry? Well, BlackBerry's been gone for a long time. They've been on life support for quite some time. 
So uh, things that we have on hold currently are things like uh, ignoring the OWASP t- top ten list. We think that's a bad idea to ignore that. Oh, why? DevOps Come on. <laughs> yeah, for obvious reasons. DevOps is its own team is something that we have in hold. We put OSGI in hold, which is a pretty relatively controversial thing. But see, OSGI is a good example of a technology that actually works pretty well for the thing that it's trying to do, but we find that people end up using it for ill-suited things. And ultimately, the problem with OSGI is they're trying to build a capability into Java that was never meant to be in Java, and it's a really, really leaky abstraction, and so it ends up with a lot of, uh, a lot of churn. The two things in the mobile space that we have on hold right now are handwritten CSS, or in the web slash mobile space is handwritten CSS and Java server faces. Huh. Those seem like reasonable things to have in hold. So I think we have an idea of things in hold. So hold is something that you are ceasing any new operations in. So these are things that you already have used or tried out and are no longer going to move forward with unless the situation changes somehow. Exactly. So there, there's one particular piece of technology, uh, intentional software, uh, Charles Simonia's company, this, this really elaborate, really cool language workbench thing. And it keeps being right on the edge of assess and hold because it has, there's, there's so much promise in the vision that they have for this tool. Uh, but then we look at the actual implementation and we move it back into hold and we look at the vision and we move it to assess and we look at the implementation and we move it in hold. So it's kind of skirted back and forth across that line. So hold is the only ring that we have that's in any way negative on our radar. The others are various degrees of research and development versus adoption. So the next ring in from hold is called assess, and that's the kind of general R&D ring of things that look promising, but we haven't had a chance to really kick the tires on it yet. Trial is the next one in from that, and anything that shows up in trial on our radar means that we've tried it on a real project, and we have found it to be good to do what we're expecting it to do. So that's a pretty firm statement for us from that something moves from assess to trial, because it's really just promising vision versus promising implementation and really does what it, it, we want it to do. And then finally, the innermost circle is called adopt. Those are the things that we consider kind of no-brainers. The kind of criteria we have for this, uh, Mike Mason is one of the members of the tab, and his criteria is if you're using some sort of hideously broken technology, we won't give you grief about it at work, but we will give you grief about it at the pub later, so we'll make fun of you at the pub if you're not using something that's in adopt, so that's kind of our criteria for that, that something that's in adopt is just a total no-brainer. So things we have in adopt right now, for example, in languages, we have things like Drop Wizard, the Go language from uh, Google, Java 8 uh, we have in the adopt uh, ring now. So those are all things that we definitely use. We definitely like to have really good best practices for them. And uh, we're super recommending people that go forward. I want to talk a little bit about the assess ring since okay. I'm wondering how do you get things in there? Or how do you encounter things that you want to try? So this actually is the difference now between the ThoughtWorks radar versus the one that I try to encourage people to build for themselves. So for the ThoughtWorks radar, the way that we come up with the things in assess is that, so uh, the tab is this group of a couple of people from each country in ThoughtWorks re- or each region. So we have about 15 countries now that we're in, within at ThoughtWorks. We're about 3,000 people worldwide. So all the tab members are the ones who actually put this radar together. But before we meet face-to-face, 
We go to project teams within our region and solicit contributions to the radar for things that they want to see on the radar, either good things or bad things. And so we come into this meeting with a really long list of things that we want to, to nominate in each one of those quadrants, including assess. And so for us, it's really driven from kind of groundswell of actual project work of things that and so that's what ends up populating the original list and then we go through a culling exercise as part of the tab face-to-face meeting to make sure that it's not you know just some one-off technology that it seems to have a broader appeal across lots of projects within ThoughtWorks. When you're doing this exercise for on your own, so one of my suggestions is actually use this radar metaphor to build a technology radar for yourself because I think that a lot of technologists are very tactical from a career management standpoint and not very strategic in that they're not really thinking long term about what kind of technology should I be investing my time and effort into. It's much more likely to be distracted by a shiny thing and then follow that for a while and be distracted by another shiny thing and follow that for a while. And while that's a fun way to build a career, it may not be the most, you know, sustainably from a financial standpoint. And so, when you use this radar metaphor to build your own radar, what I'm suggesting is for this assess phase, what you need are some really good litmus tests that you can apply. When you look at new technologies, you need a few triage kind of tests you can run against that technology to say, should I invest any more time looking into this technology? So here's an example of one of those. I'm really big into agile software development, and I really like agile engineering techniques. And so one of my big litmus tests every time I look at a brand new technology is how well does it fit into this kind of agile engineering ecosystem. So, for example, how testable is this technology? Is it really easy to test this on multiple levels? And if it's not, then I set it aside until either its testing story gets better or it dies. So, for example, Flex, when it came out, I looked at it and it said, well, you know, that looks kind of cool that I looked at its testing story, which is really anemic. So I said, I'm not going to look at Flex until its testing story gets better or it dies. And it died, so I didn't waste any time with it. And so it didn't even make it into assess. No, because it didn't meet that first criteria for me, which is testability. So I think it's important as a technologist from a career planning standpoint is start thinking about the things that you really like out of technologies and the things you don't like out of technologies. And a lot of this is it's very personal. It has to do with things like how accommodating are you to change? You know, do you like change? Do you hate change? You know, a lot of those things will play into exactly what kind of technologies you're going to find yourself drawn toward versus the ones that you're just kind of having to endure. Okay, so let's say I hate change. What, okay. what technologies, are, how am I going to approach my radar? Well, so in that case, what you're going to do is look at radars that you can kind of double down on. So pick something that's a really good, employable space right now. So, for example, one of the uh, when I, I do this as a conference talk is build your own technology radar. And one of the things I solicit from the crowd is what's a really good, safe, no-brainer kind of technology to be invested in right now. And one of the common answers I get back is pretty much anything right now in the HTML5 CSS JavaScript space is really, really safe right now. And so if you really want to double down on that career, get really good at JavaScript and that sort of stuff, and you'll have a pretty nice career path, at least for the next four or five years. Probably an even more stable one is something like uh, Spring and Hibernate in the J2EE space because Java has become the COBOL of the 21st century in a good way. I mean, that's the way people write business applications in the 21st century. And so if you don't like a lot of change, then invest heavily in that space, and you're going to see small incremental change for probably the rest of your life. But I'm pretty convinced that there are spring configuration files that will outlive all of us. 
Definitely. It's like there's probably COBOL code that will still outlive all of us. So if you don't like change, then that would be the perfect place to really start honing your efforts in that space. Uh, but if you really like, you know, radical change, then I would suggest, you know, plugging in heavily into the JavaScript web framework space. That sounds good. <laughs> I suppose it's probably not the most useful question for our audience, because if you don't like change, mobile is probably not where you want to be. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not the place you want to be. So, yeah, I would say that this audience is much more, not only just used to change, but probably inured and numb to change by now. Because okay. one of the things we do on our radar is, is try to identify trends, and one of our last trends on our radar was a churn in the mobile space, JavaScript and mobile space, because it's just changing so fast all the time. It's like trying to chase a running freight train. So I do want to bring that up a little bit. This show is about iOS development. So in some ways, it's fairly limited. I mean, you know, we're not really going to be talking, I guess, unless you're using like Ionic Framework or Famous or something like that. You know, you're not really going to get into the, the JavaScript world or, you know, a lot of these other areas that are changing. The changes are mostly dictated by Apple, mm -hmm. and then the rest of the changes are dictated by the community. But things like the language, it's either Objective-C or Swift. So you could put Swift on here, I guess. You know. Which is there. It's going to be in the next radar in SS. Right. We also have engineering practices around iOS development on our radar. So we have continuous delivery for iOS devices that's been in our assess for uh, the techniques for a while. It's been in SS or trial. So we're actually doing this on some of our projects. Mm -hmm. So this is in trial now. So I guess the question, though, is do you put things in here that you see at the Apple Keynotes, or do you... No, we don't. We, we respond very poorly to marketing stuff. Right. If somebody mentions something in an Apple Keynote, what's going to happen is some thought worker is going to download that and start trying to build real stuff with it, and only if we can actually re build real stuff in it do we actually start talking about putting it on the radar. And even if one team finds something cool and starts building cool stuff in it, that's not enough to make it on our radar because we usually end up with about twice as many blips that will fit on our radar and so we call the things down that don't that we don't think is going to have a you know big enough impact industry wide cuz we're really trying to take a global perspective on this thing you know how is this going to impact you know uh, technologists all around the world not just in you know particular ecosystems okay so i mean what we're looking at here is you'll have things though like swift or some uh, new cocopod or some you know, technology that helps you build or move move your process along one way or the other, or some practice like TDD or things like that that you can throw on your radar and start working on and then see, assess whether or not it uh, makes sense for you to move into trial. It seems like there's a lot more process around doing this for a company as opposed to doing it for a person. There is more process for doing this for a company because you're trying to assess, you know, company-wide what works well. So the real benefit for doing this from a company standpoint is actually not the asset you create, it's the exercise that you go through. It's having these conversations about technology with all the technologists in the company together is we turns out to be a really, really valuable exercise. For yourself, particularly if you're in a relatively closed ecosystem like iOS, there are not a lot of things that you could do on a radar like this because someone else is mostly controlling the ecosystem. But I would also strongly encourage to look outside that ecosystem and see what kind of cool stuff is there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of really cool testing frameworks, a lot of cool things that support kind of continuous delivery uh, engineering practices that are available that are not part of the Apple ecosystem but are useful in the Apple ecosystem. And so anytime we identify one of those things, we try to, uh, to highlight them. I think it's actually a mistake. So one of the, uh, this goes back to one of the stories that I tell as I talk about building a radar, and this is very applicable to the people who are listening to this podcast, is back a long, long time ago, I was the CTO of a training and consulting company 
that did development in Clipper. Have any of you guys ever even heard of Clipper? It was an ancient DOS-based technology that was object-based, and there was a library called Classy that would make it completely object-oriented. So we had built this really nice object-oriented application development framework, and we did training classes in Clipper, and we had consulting projects in Clipper. And then Windows came along, and it was like somebody turned off a faucet overnight. All the Clipper work disappeared almost instantly, and we had to scramble around and find the new thing. And that made me realize two important lessons. One is, whether you like it or not, technology keeps moving on. When you signed up in this field, you also signed up for a lifelong course in continuing education. You can't stay still in this world because the world will, move you, will leave you behind. Anytime you're using a technology, particularly a technology that is being managed by a company, it's really hard. To, you're, you're basically then living in a technology bubble. And when that bubble starts collapsing, it's very, very difficult to tell from the inside that it's collapsing. And this is even worse if it's something that's controlled by a commercial company because they will hide the fact that that bubble is collapsing from you because it's in their best interest to keep you engaged in that community and that world as long as possible. Now, I'm not for a moment suggesting that the iOS ecosystem is in danger of collapsing any time in the future because it is a very healthy ecosystem, but you have to be cautious any time you have a technology platform that is so tied to a vendor, you've got to be careful to always be objective when you look at that technology to make sure you're not just drinking the vendor Kool-Aid all the time, but you are actively looking around at different parts of the ecosystem to see if other people are doing interesting stuff or maybe building replacement tools or techniques that the, the main vendor is not talking about. I want to ask another question about the radar here. How much of this is a mandate to use or a mandate to try or a mandate to have the conversation versus just kind of, a, hey, this is what we're looking at these days, and so we recommend rather than mandate that you check this out or try it out? So for the technology radar, we, there's a, an implicit here, use this where applicable. So we may put something in uh, Adopt that is really applicable, but only for some kinds of projects. So we're not. So for example, let's say that we put. Well, one of the things we have in, in Adopt under Techniques is uh, dependency management for JavaScript is a good example of that. So that's something that's an Adopt for us is dependency management for JavaScript. So if you're not doing dependency management, you're probably going to drive yourself crazy. And so what we're saying there is if you're not using JavaScript on your project, we don't suggest you start using JavaScript just so you can do dependency management for JavaScript. Right. So adopt for us doesn't mean go out of your way to try to adopt this. But we're saying if you're in the JavaScript ecosystem, then this is kind of a no-brainer to try to use this. So what we're trying to do on this radar, these are all things that we've vetted. So we would never put anything on here that just looks kind of cool, but we haven't actually done anything with it. We have way too many technologies we're trying to assess. So everything that shows up on our radar to assess is something that we've uh, done some research and development on, and we think it's very, very promising or it wouldn't show up there at all. So there, there's no mandate to use any of these things, we're, but they are, as the closer it gets to adopt, we're making stronger and stronger suggestions that, hey, this is really a technology you should be looking at because it's, it's uh, cool or innovative in some way. So you talked a little bit about continuous delivery as being kind of in the adopt in the mobile space. Some of the things that I see coming down the pipe, you know, a growing interest in using JavaScript in your native apps, maybe uh, using more HTML. Is that even on the, the framework? Is that something that we're discussing? 
Uh, that would too. probably show up in a technique somewhere. We don't have that called out specifically as a technique because I think that's really common. We actually have a framework that uh, a bunch of thought workers created called Kala Trava. Uh, that's an open source framework that, that lets you build single code base applications that run on iOS and Android and several flavors of Android. And the way that it does that is by capturing all the common stuff in JavaScript, so all the workflow and business logic and that kind of stuff is captured in JavaScript. And so that's an example of a framework that already does that, kind of embeds JavaScript in there to give you device independence. And so we might call that out specifically as a technique, but we uh, we just call that tool out specifically because it's. I think that's a relatively common practice in the JavaScript space. So do things go from adopt to just kind of goes without saying that we're going to do this? Those are those are the closest thing to a no-brainer category that we have. So we're basically saying if we put some sort of version control in Adopt, it's a no-brainer to use that in, in almost all the situations where you might find yourself using something like that. But the things that move into Adopt for us, uh, so one of the things that confuses the people a little bit about our radar is that our blips age off after a time. So if a blip hasn't moved in two full radars, which means it hasn't moved in a year, it fades away. So what happens ultimately to our technologies is that they pop up and assess, and then they move their way through trial, and they hit adopt, and then they don't move from adopt because we still like them, and so after two radars, they fade away. And so there is actually, if you look at the radar page, there is a radar A to Z category at the top. If you're curious to see if any of our, uh, if any of your favorite technologies have ever shown up on our radar, you can go to the uh, A to Z and you can see all the things around a particular technology that has shown up anytime on our radar. So not just the things that uh, you know we aged off in Adopt, but things that we aged off because they didn't move at all. So, for example, uh, hosted solutions for testing iOS is one that showed up on that was in our last radar in July 2014 in Assess, and it was also on our radar of January 2014. So, for our next radar, if this one doesn't move, then it'll fade away automatically because it's been in the assess quadrant for two radars. So, but typically what happens is things move into adopt and then they fade out after two radars. But you can always find out. So, if you're interested to see something interesting, so for example, if you go to the radar A to Z and, and type in iOS, you'll see a good 20 or 30 different entries that have happened around iOS over our radar over the last four and a half years or so that we've been building this radar, including continuous delivery for mobile devices, which moved into Adopt in January 2014. And so uh, it will still be on Adopt on our next radar, and then it will fade away because we're now viewing that as kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, so going with the radar metaphor, effectively you've, you've moved right on top of it, and so it doesn't, it's not a blip on your radar anymore. Exactly. Yeah, we've incorporated that. We are actually trying to be really uh, loyal to this radar metaphor, which is one of the reasons we have hold and not avoid. Because avoid, I think, would be kind of a fun category to have because it would let you really say terrible things about all the bad decisions you've made in the past. But that's not a very forward-looking kind of exercise, and we want this to be kind of relentlessly forward-looking because we're trying to assess the future. And so the most negatively bad thing we'll say about things in the future is don't use them. And so hold, that's hold for us. Right. And then if it comes back on later, then it can come back to assess and trial again if something changes in the ecosystem. Exactly. And that happens sometimes. We'll, a new version of something will end up getting reassessed you know, and, and readopted. So one other thing that I'm I'm seeing, and this is something that I run into all the time. I mean, I've got my fingers in a lot of pies. You know, I do Ruby and JavaScript and iOS. I dabble in DevOps, and I've got a bunch of other, you know, just fun little things that I do. You know, I'm pretty bullish on 
AngularJS in my web development stuff. You know, I like to play with robotics and stuff like that. So there are a lot of things that I want to do. So how do I not get a, an assess category that I'm never going to actually work through all the stuff in it? Well, so you will end up with an assess category that you'll never work through all the stuff in it. <laughs> it's just uh, this is the nature of the world because there's just way too many cool things in the world. What I'm suggesting is this radar metaphor, when you use it for yourself, is a way to actually get all those things in front of you so that you can start deciding how do I want to prioritize these things. Because in my experience, a lot of technologists, and I don't know if you're this way, is you work on something for a while, it's like, ooh, shiny, and you start working on that. It's like, ooh, shiny, there's something over there. There's not a lot of strategy about, you know, what are my long-term goals as a technologist, and how is it supporting those long-term goals? And being able to put them all together so you can kind of weigh the priorities against one another, I think is a kind of a useful exercise. I don't think this radar metaphor is perfect for that purpose, but I think one of the reasons it has become popular is because it's, is a way to capture that information where there was no real way to capture that before. And so mm-hmm. while it's not the perfect way to capture it, it's, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. So I think this is filled in a spot that was a vacuum before. Yeah, and I guess the other thing is is that you can handle it like you handle most other prioritized task management. And basically you have your column or ring or whatever you want to call it for assess. And so you pick the thing that you think is going to have the most payoff you know, be it the most interesting or the thing that is um, going to impact your business or your um, your employer or whatever the most, and you assess that. And then once you've assessed it, then you can move it into trial and you can keep fiddling with it on a trial basis while you choose something else to assess when you have, you know, assessment time. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how you use this as a way to kind of keep track of all the, th- the balls that you have juggling in the air at, at a time as a way to kind of uh, prioritize things. It also seems to me that you could, so for a company, it seems like having a standardized process around this where you create this radar at the beginning of the year, you know, or maybe twice a year or something uh, makes a lot of sense. But for your personal radar, I mean, you should be able to toss things onto your assess pile whenever you want. Absolutely. Yep. So I've heard about this library, so I'm going to drop it in there and do it. Yep. And at the end of the year, look at all those assess things and decide, okay, which of these things do I want to move into trial? Yeah. So this is a way to kind of triage the interesting things in the world and then sit down, you know, at one time and think about all those things together and and prioritize what you're you're going after. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what this is useful for. And in fact, the companies that we, so we do this as a as an exercise for companies as well. And we have several of our clients who are going through this exercise once a year to update, you know, what's going on in their current radar. Because they're using this as a, as a decision-making tool. So as an exercise, if I'm a iOS developer, Mac developer, you know, we would use this for saying, do I want to stay with Objective-C or do I want to go to Swift? So mm-hmm. we would put Swift in the assess category and try it out yep. and wait to see you know, how, how the industry is going. Mm-hmm. You know, is it being adopted? That's part of the, what you would do. The other thing you would do, so one of the things I encourage people to do when they're trying to assess new technologies uh, Rich Hickey, who's the creator of Clojure, has a great quote, and I'll quote him here, that developers understand the benefits of everything and the trade-offs of nothing. And this is a problem that developers have. You say a new technology and you get really enamored with the shiny bits of it, but then you don't think about you know, what are the negative implications that this technology may bring with it. 
And so one of the things that we recommend doing is when you're trying to assess new technology is actually build a feature matrix, just like commercial pieces of software have, where you talk about all the things that it does. But rather than just the list of features that it has, think about the problems that you're going to need to solve with whatever this particular technology is, what kind of applications you're going to need to build, what kind of things you're going to have to plug into your existing ecosystem. Because let's say that there's a brand new web framework that comes out that looks really nice, Bob's web framework. And you go to Bob's web framework page, and he extols all the virtues of Bob's web framework. But when you go to the bottom of the page, it's not going to say, oh, by the way, Bob's framework really sucks for trying to do authentication and authorization in your company. So you need to be able to assess whether it does that or not. And so one of the ways when you're assessing technologies is to get some promising technologies together, build your own feature matrix of things we know it needs to do, and then do research from an assess standpoint to say, okay, does it do these things? And the things you can't find out from research, build little sample projects to make sure you understand how it's going to handle that capability. So this is a way of looking at new technologies and really assessing, can this solve the entire suite of problems I have versus just this one little sweet spot that it's optimized for versus these other things. Yeah, I also want to point out that sometimes it's because it lacks features, and it seems like that's the most obvious thing. But sometimes it'll actually have features or functionality in it that will get in the way of what you're doing. And that's why you need to try it out is because you, you may find out, okay, it looks like it has everything I need, but in reality, it does this one funky thing that makes it really hard for me to get what the, the one thing I need done. Yep. That's a, a common anti-pattern I think developers fall into is it's actually a famous classic anti-pattern called the boat anchor anti-pattern. When you end up using something that has way more capabilities than you need because it's, it's nice or it's expensive or we paid a lot of money for it or we spent a lot of time writing that thing and so everybody has to use it for something. I actually view that as technical debt. Anything that you use in a frame, uh, that is in a framework or a tool like that that you're not using right now is just technical debt because it's in the way of the stuff you're using. And until you start using it, it's just going to be technical debt. Yeah, we talked it's to Martin so- Fowler on Ruby Rogues and we talked about refactoring and we did get into technical debt, and it seemed like technical debt was essentially anything that slowed you down on the project. Well, that's certainly one of the side effects, is it slows down the velocity on the project. This is like gardening. You know, It's like gardening, and you let weeds continually grow up. Before long, you can't find the plants anymore because there's so many weeds. That's exactly the problem with technical debt on projects, is there's so many compromises in there. To do legitimate work, you have to understand all the compromises that came before you, and that slows things way down. Mm-hmm. What were you saying, Jane? Such a fine line between full-featured and bloated, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And full-featured to one is bloated to somebody else. So there's not one size fits all in any technology, I don't think. That's because we have variance in our problems. In other words, so it's full-featured for me because the authentication, the whatever other features, they all work as I expect them to, and they mesh nicely with the way that I approach my problems. But for you, you, you may have just one or two little requirements here or there that make it so that it's bloated because I'm never going to use those features or I'm going to have to work around them. Absolutely. So, so there is no one technology to rule them all that just doesn't exist. Right. So you're, you're looking for the, the fit that will get you the closest to it, you know, and then you make the trade-offs for efficiency of work or efficiency of the app. Ultimately, what we're looking for from a technology adoption standpoint is exactly the point where you get the most balance of risk versus reward. Mm-hmm. 
So you may in, invest more risk in something that's really important to your problem domain. So maybe you're in the financial services industry in Manhattan and you really need to invest heavily in like really high concurrency frameworks like a Scala or, or, or ACA or Clojure or something like that. Uh, and so that means you, you really need to invest more time and effort in understanding that because it's an important part of your problem domain. Now, does it mean anything looking at your radar that some of these are closer in or further out within trial or assess? Or did you it just does, group them to make them look nice? That is exactly the, our criteria is we don't, uh, we don't obsess about position. So if something is one millimeter in closer than another one, uh, we don't obsess about that. We're just trying to get the labels not to overlap. Okay. We do have a little bit of iconography there. So the triangles mean it's brand new on this radar, and the circles means it's been here at least once before. So there's a little bit of iconography there to, to show stuff. But we're not trying to make editorial comments about precise placement within rings. Now, one other thing that I'm wondering about is it seems like you've got these general ideas for, you know, if most projects or most new projects are adopting – uh, something in the trial category, then we move it into adopt. Or if we want to, you know, kind of say this is the best way in general to do whatever to solve a particular problem, then we're going to move it into adopt. But do you do any kind of metrics to measure this? Or is it just a general, the general conversation through the company is segregated DOM plus node for JS testing is, you know, the thing that is making everybody happy right now? Yep. So we will revisit this. So we don't gather formal metrics across our projects, but every time we do a radar, we revisit every blip that's currently on the radar and decide, is this actually, should it still be there? And is it still have the promise that it had before? So we do revisit each one of these to make sure that it still belongs in the quadrant that it belongs on, or it sometimes they get moved. And so do you uh, just revisit it by having that conversation? Hey, are you yep. using this? Oh, you are? Well, and still well, good? Yep. So, I mean, the people who are on the tab also get are attached to projects as well. So we get to see code all the time. It's not like we're always just getting reports from people. So we get to see things out in the world and, and see how things work. So there's not a formal kind of verification, but there's an informal verification across a lot of people in the tab that this is that whatever this thing is still happening. Like segregated DOM plus node for JavaScript testing. That's a really common practice on a lot of our projects now. If projects stopped doing that, I think we would have found another way to do this particular thing, and that would start showing up on our radar somewhere because we've started doing this other thing. What's come down the pipe for the mobile developers, people doing iOS? What type of things should we be looking at if we're trying to develop our own radar? Uh, well, so uh, the things that show up on our most recent radar around iOS development in particular is hosted solutions for testing iOS. So things like Travis CI, for example, gives you cloud-based CI for iOS and OSS projects, so that's pretty nice. That was on our assess in uh, July of 2014. Uh, Zucchini is another. It's a testing framework that gives you Cucumber-style BDD testing for iOS apps. That was actually an assess back in 2012, so that may be outdated by now. What I did was go to the radar uh, A to Z and look for I things that mention iOS. Yeah, I remember Zucchini yeah, a while ago, you know, 2012, that era, people were working on it. I hadn't heard much of it yeah, that one has, lately. Is that going away? It show up on our radar again, so that suggests it probably faded away. Uh, one of the things that is in assess for our July 2014 radar is Apium, which is to test mobile, uh, web, native, and hybrid applications, the testing framework. So that's in that space. I mentioned uh, Calatrava which is something that a thought worker created that gives you kind of a titanium-like independence 
Uh, Calabash is another one, automated acceptance tool for Android and iOS that acts like Cucumber. That was in our 2014 uh, January trial for iOS. So do you do this in January and July? We do it twice a year. So uh, it usually falls around those time frames. Okay. We're actually moving it back a little bit next year so that our radars will basically come out early in the year and late in the year. The new one will be out early in January of 2014. So, sorry, 2015. Next year's radar will come out before the end of the year. So we're shifting our meetings around a little bit so that we can get the second radar out just before the end of the year rather than just at the beginning of the year. One thing that I'm looking at, and I think it would be really interesting, and I'd like to get your feedback on this, I think it would be really interesting to put together kind of a community radar. So something that the community in general is looking at. So, you know, maybe an iOS community radar. And, you know, we could have one for iFreaks and one for, you know, some of the other iOS communities out there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, so I'll go, ahead, I'll go ahead and point you to something that was going to be one of my picks that I'll talk about at the, at the very end of the show. But the, that radar visualization that you see, somebody has essentially already implemented that for you. So on GitHub, one of my former colleagues is a guy named Brett Dargan. He has a, a project called Tech Radar. So if you go to GitHub, the site GitHub, and just search for the phrase Tech Radar, you'll find this. What he has done is built an open source framework that does this radar visualization for you on an HTML5 canvas using JavaScript. So all you do is fill in a JSON data structure, and it actually draws this radar for you. So you could easily set up, for example, a radar that people from that are listening to this podcast contribute to and then use this visualization to actually publish this somewhere as an asset that the community owns. And then basically we could set the criteria for, you know, what the community gets into assess, trial, adopt, and hold. Exactly. So I would say it's similar to ours, assess is kind of R&D trial as we've used it, and it looks really, really promising, and adopt is no-brainer. Yep, I'm going to do adopt for send James cookies. <laughs> Yeah, I would almost want to put a no-brainer in there. So, you know, just to give people an idea if they're new to it, you know, we're not talking a lot about this because it's been adopted for a while. But if you're wondering... The only downside to that is the problem is you end up adopting a lot of technologies, so there's no way you can visually get them all on there. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's the challenge we faced. (laughs) So that's why we eventually ended up with this aging off kind of idea. Right. There's nothing that says, of course, that you have to have four quadrants. So, mm-hmm. you know, you may have just a, a couple of quadrants or they may be hyper-specialized. So if you were building a radar just for iOS stuff, for example, you might build, you know, uh, development tools for iOS as one quadrant, testing tools for iOS as another quadrant, and, you know, split out the technologies using quadrants like that so that you've got more of an apples-to-apples comparison within a quadrant. We picked techniques, tools, platforms, and languages and frameworks because we were trying to dice up the entire technology world. But if you're doing this for a much more cloistered space, you may build some very, very specific kind of uh, quadrants. It's really just what categories of things do we want to assess against one another. I'm really tempted to play with this. And that GitHub library is something that I definitely want to go tinker with. Yep. The only weird thing about the GitHub library Never let it be said that one of my colleagues can't over-engineer something just a little bit. Uh, he he gives you the ability to do exact placement of the dots within the rings by using polar coordinates. So there's a little bit of gentle yak shaving to convert things into polar coordinates so you can get them to show up in the JSON data structure, but that's the only real thing you have to do. You just fill in that JSON data structure, and it does all the drawing for you. So you so. can't just say, I want it in this ring and have it figure out where to put it? No, you have to convert it to polar coordinates to do that. Okay. 
<laughs> I'm sure that Brett would be happy to accept a pull request that just automatically handles that for you. So if you'd like to build that and send it to him, I'm sure he'd be happy to accept that. Oh, it's a cool library. Yeah. yeah, it's a handy little thing. I just keep thinking that it would be really fun to build collaborative tech radars, you know, give not just companies but communities the ability to do this kind of thing. I think it's a great idea. So uh, back in 2012, QCon London actually stole our radar metaphor. Or I, I'm going to say it was an homage to our radar metaphor during the conference to talk about cool new technology stuff. And they built an interactive radar thing that had our categories on it that people during the conference were filling out the radar. So I, I think this is a really useful tool for communities as a way to track kind of the community consensus on what's going on around these tools. Because, again, this is one of those things, there's no metaphor in place that does that. And so just by putting something this in place, you give a, a place for people to start hanging ideas off of. We're trying to encourage other people out in the world to create their own radars. We think this is actually a pretty nice radar uh, metaphor for assessing technologies like this. Uh, so we're, we're encouraging people to take this metaphor and run with it. Very nice. Now, is there a place where all of these definitions are kind of contained? Oh, yeah, they're right here in the radar. Adopt. We feel strongly that blah, blah, blah. Trial worth pursuing. It's important. Huh. Yep. All those are there. The other pick that I was going to point you to is I actually have a blog entry on my website. that just, It's a white paper, basically, that describes this whole build-your-own-radar process, particularly for companies, including logistics for how to put this together for your own company. Uh, that's on my website, neilford.com. And there's a blog entry on there called Build Your Own Technology Radar. Very cool. As a consultant, I can see doing a technology radar to find technologies that my clients would use, things like that. But if, I'm, if, I, if you're a loan developer, an employer, you have an employer, you're an employee, what other type of things are you, are you thinking of when you're putting things in your you know, adopt, hold, that type of thing? Career development plans. I mean, so uh, this goes back to the example I was in, in the Clipper world. You know, if, if I was heavily invested in Clipper, not paying attention to the other technologies out there, and it was gradually going away, mm -hmm. I have no kind of strategic way of assessing the world. So as an individual, I think you can use this tool as a way to kind of keep your pulse on what's happening in the technology world right now. And you got to be careful because, you know, things move out from underneath you without you realizing it. So, you know, people were heavily invested in soap for a while, but now all of a sudden the whole world's doing rest rather than soap. And if you were heavily invested in soap, you will, you will have had to move in a hurry. This is a way to kind of, as you find out about new technologies, kind of put them as a radar. It's like, how is this going to affect me as an individual? And you may find some really cool thing that you really want to invest time and effort into. So I, I view this building a radar. Uh, one of the things that I point out is if you're a technologist, if you make money from technology, then your technical portfolio is kind of like your financial portfolio. And they're very intimately tied to one another. Is what does your financial advisor tell you as your number one advice for your financial portfolio? Diversify. Diversify. So you want to do the same thing in your technology portfolio, and this gives you a way to kind of assess, you know, what things are really super promising that I know I need to have knowledge in, you know, what kind of things are maybe the far out kind of investment ideas that, you know, look kind of speculative but may turn into actually the best job in the world. I think this radar helps you try to assess those technology choices, even for an individual. Man, you're ruining my weekend. I, I want to go and build some stuff now. <laughs> it's, it's actually super easy using that, you know, all the open source bits are already out there in GitHub. Just download that thing. There's already a JSON data structure, so you can start filling in all the stuff. You don't have to build it from scratch. So uh, I think this is a good weekend project. <laughs> 
Your family may disagree with me on that. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the way this week's going, I'm not going to have time for anything anyway. So. <laughs> cool. Will you have any other questions, Jane? Because I think I'm out. I think we're good. I'm ready to get my radar going. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up then. We'll do we'll do some picks. Jane, do you want to start us off with the picks? Sure, I'm going to do one pick. I've got a book that from Steven Pinker, who'd written some other books I was only vaguely familiar with, but people seem to think he's kind of a big deal. But he wrote a book on writing, The Sense of Style. And if you do blogging or writing, or if, you're tech, if you're in a technical field, you know we don't really know the best way to write, how to communicate. We look at you know abstract legalese and weird abstract papers, academic stuff, and we tend to do our writing in ways that just doesn't, they're hard to read, and we think we're doing it the right way, but it's really not not very helpful. So uh, Steven Pinker, The Sense of Style, is a book. He went on a book tour a couple months ago and just really spelled out a lot of rules for improving how you write, how to write in a way that people will understand what you're saying. The book itself is pretty big and kind of denser than I thought, so I didn't get through all of it, but I picked up quite a few tips. Even my wife was a blogger. I'm actually helping her improve her writing. But I said, well, try this, try that this way. And, you know, this isn't so bad, even though Strunk and White might have, I think it's not the right thing to do. But Stephen Picker, The Sense of Style, is a solid book if you're looking to improve your writing. Very cool. I'm going to go ahead and uh, just do one pick. Uh, my friend John Sanmez is uh, he's getting ready to release a book. I don't remember who the publisher is, but it's called Soft Skills for Programmers. And it's basically a book that talks about all of the other things that go into you know having a well-balanced and enjoyable life as a programmer. So he talks about working out. He talks about ma- managing your finances. He talks about marketing yourself, keeping your skills sharp, all of that kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's kind of a, a broad set of topics. But a lot of times we get excited about talking about the new technology and we don't talk about all of the other things. And so this is a book about all the other things and it, it's looking like it's just terrific. You know, I've, I've been looking at it and I'm excited to get my hands on it. Uh, it comes out really soon. So uh, go check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes to where you can get your hands on it. And that's my pick. Neil, what are your picks? So I've got uh, several radar related picks. One is the ThoughtWorks radar, which is just thoughtworks.com slash radar. I also mentioned the white paper on my website that you can uh, download. Uh, if you go to neil4.com, there's a Build Your Own Technology Radar link there. And then I mentioned the GitHub link uh, from my colleague uh, Brett Dargan. It's GitHub, B-D-A-R-G-A-N, slash techradar, which are all the bits to do this with. Uh, I feel compelled to give you one other pick that has nothing to do with technology whatsoever. So if people have never heard of this, this is one of my favorite kind of uh, intellectual bombs to throw into people's uh, satchels. If you've never read it, then go read a David Foster Wallace Authority and American Usage, which is an essay that's online that was published in one of his books. It is an 8,000-word review of a dictionary, and it is absolutely the most riveting thing you've ever read in your life. So if you've never read that, treat yourself and go read uh, David Foster Wallace Authority and American Usage, and it'll lead you to a bunch of other David Foster Wallace stuff as well. Oh, very cool. I've read a number of his stuff, and I've always enjoyed it. Yeah, he's a very cool writer. Nice. All right. Well, I don't think we have any other announcements or anything, so uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Thanks for coming, Neil. It was a terrific conversation. My pleasure. All right. We'll we'll catch you all next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. 
They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the iFreaks and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at iFreaksShow.com slash forum. 